Welcome to another episode of ASX Market Goss. For no more than 30 minutes, we're going to dig a little deeper with an ASX-listed small cap company. Their focus, the future, the highs, the lows, and and what next. And a part of the conversation is to get to know our guests at a personal level. Their experiences, their mentors, their journey, the slips, the slides, even down to their coffee of choice, and life away from the share price and investment decision-making, even their sporting prowess. And our guest today is, well... A Masters hockey superstar and Chris Dawes, Managing Director of Australia Resources ASX Code ESR. Appreciate your time, Chris. Tim, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Now, I say Australia because my brother lives in Barcelona and that's how they say Australia as in regards to the beer. We'll go with Australia because I think we Aussies need to stick that. Yeah, no, happy with Australia. It's actually not a bad beer either, Spanish beer. Um, <laughs> star, and it actually, yeah, it's a nice drop, actually. It is. Um, just tell us about the Australia story. You've been there. Uh, you are now the managing director. You've you've booted the CEO tag and gone with the managing director. Tell us about the Australia story. Yeah, so I got involved with Australia back in 2017. So we managed to uh, take control of it. I guess a, a shell at that point from a couple of guys out of Cottesloe. And, uh, you know, it's a three million market cap. I had some uh, pretty grand plans at the time to put in a, uh, a lithium project, which we had secured privately in 2015. A um, couple of chaps that had bought a, a nickel project at Cambalda with some other nickel assets uh, had acquired the Widgimutha exploration ground just to the southwest of the Mount Marion lithium project. And we uh, were quite excited by the, the lithium potential, uh, looking at some of the old data that Western Mining had in the day. Uh, there was a lot of pegmatite outcrops that we thought were uh, potentially LCT or, or lithium uh, prospective uh, pegmatite. So we did a deal. We, we plugged it into Australia. We, we effectively took control of the board and raised some capital and off we went to uh, try and discover the lithium at Mount Edwards. Uh, it became the Mount Edwards Lithium Project. We plugged along on that for a couple of years. We found a little bit of lithium. Uh, it was quite successful in finding pegmatites and a little bit of lithium, but I felt that there was always a burning desire for me to go into nickel, uh, and that's really been my space over the last 20 years, has been nickel. So I, I really wanted Australia to go back into the nickel space. The Widgimutha ground held a lot of exploration potential for nickel, and we also had privately the Carboid Nickel Project that we purchased in 2015. So we ended up selling Mount Edwards Lithium, and uh, that was, I guess, a deal that we did uh, on the basis of bringing in the nickel thereafter and, and, and off we went in nickel hunting. So we've done that for the last three years and we've had a little bit of success on that front. Yeah, you talk about your, the nickel space, which is, again, if you go back through your track record in the game, that's where I suppose the large percentage has been focused. What about the evolution and the changes to the, the nickel mining process? So have you seen the highs, the lows? Have you seen some positivity? Yeah, there's definitely been some ebbs and flows. There's, there's the boom and the bust. That's the mining industry. And um, certainly uh, from my perspective, nickel is an interesting game. It's very, it's very hard to find. It's a, it's a base metal, but it's, it's, it's probably one of the, you know, the hardest mineral minerals to go out there and locate, um, as I found out over the past 20 years. So why do you keep cracking away? At tw- for, you it's know, exciting. Yeah. It's it's the buzz. It's the thrill of the chase. And I, I, I sort of look back at my days as a little kid in the back of the, you know, the sand pit digging up dinky coins, you know, the dinkies and you, and, you, and that discovery. You, you were digging them up. I was burying them. <laughs> and my two brothers, Tony and Solomon, I was famous for taking a tomahawk to their dinky car collection and burying them in the sand pit in Bunbury. 
and you're the type of guy that would get me in trouble by digging them up. <laughs> True story. Yeah, so that's it's the thrill. It, you know, you go out there. I, although I spend a bit of time in, in on the corporate front, engaging with shareholders, etc., and raising capital and and trying to get the drill rigs turning, I get the biggest buzz getting out in the field and looking at the drill holes, looking at the core coming up because you just don't know what you're going to get, go and find. And you know, fortunately for Australia, in, in October 2020, and we had limited capital. I think we had 700,000 in the bank. We were drilling three deep diamond holes. It was a real sort of you know, draw, draw the bow, and we we hit we hit three three and a half meters of high grade nickel sulfide out at Carboy Rocks, our flagship project, and it was a uh, it was a discovery in the making that took fifty years from the time of the original Carboy discovery. So there hadn't been a lot of exploration work in in the Carboy district. There hasn't been a lot of exploration work, generally speaking, for nickel um, using modern technologies um, because nickel was really in 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 the dustbin, I mean, Western Mining and BHP were looking to sell off their, their nickel division, couldn't sell it, couldn't sell it for $300 million going back, you know, a decade or so now. Now it's one of their premier divisions and, and it's just the way these markets go, ebbs and flows, but it's a very difficult mineral to discover and when you discover it, when you have the drill bit turn up, a little bit of massive sulphide with nickel in it, it's like pulling that dinky coy out, dinky, <laughs> dinky car out of the uh, sand pit. I love again. that. It I really is. That. I love that analogy. So when you talk about being less than a, uh, having less than a million bucks in the bank, and you then you strike, um, how did that change the company, and how does that change the mindset of those who have done the heavy heavy lifting? Yeah, it does. It does change, and it, and, it, and it changes your your, I guess, your desire to keep going. It, it gives you that lift. It's like it's like anything, you know. You kick a goal and you're down, and you and you, and you and it just lifts. You just lift, and it's you know it's difficult. You know it's a team effort, um, but when you have that breakthrough, uh, it it just it, it it gives you that momentum. And for Australia, it meant that we could raise capital, we could drill more holes, we could bring additional professional staff in. Um, we've secured Steve Warren, who's uh, very much. Uh, a dedicated nickel exploration geologist. We're lucky to have him, uh, 30 years experience and, and senior management roles and well, he's made discoveries. But here we have uh, an opportunity at, at Carboid. It's, a, it's an extremely unique opportunity to go and find nickel sulphides in a, in a project 80 kilometres northwest of, uh, northeast of Kalgoorlie Boulder. In, in, nickel, in, in nickel country, it's, if you're going to find something, it's one of the best places to go and find it. And you talk about 80Ks out of Cal, which is the home, which is the Doors upbringing, famous name up in Cal. Yeah, it's a little bit of royalty, the name up there, you could say. I, I must admit, I, I've got big boots to fill. Um, my grandfather, I think, has got the football, Boulder football field named after him. He was the <laughs> longest serving Bouldershire president. Um, OAM, uh, so so was my grand, grandmother, she was OAM as well. And my father, who's given me a, a lot of guidance over the years and who I still work with, uh, he's got an Order of Australia Medal for services to the mining industry and, you know, Kalgoorlie Boulder as a, as a destination for junior explorers and explorers alike is, is uh, fantastic. The service providers that you have, it's an hour's flight out of Perth, it's just a, a fantastic place to operate, especially in nickel, because you are near so much infrastructure. You've got Kelgoli Nickel Smelter, you've got uh, processing plants, you've got uh, personnel and people that are aware of the nickel 
uh, environment. If you find something, you can certainly get on and discover and develop it. More on... uh Australia in a, in a moment personally and uh, where to now. But let's, I just want to flip you back to, to your dad, of course. This is not just about your dad, but your dad is pretty prominent and your dad is a royalist and your dad has a great connection to the king now, of course, and uh, and John Bowler and, and the like, uh, keen to get that leaf on uh, across the gold leaf. Just tell us a bit about that story. That story seems to have surfaced in recent times. Yeah, look, that's a fantastic story. And anyone that's actually travelled up to Kalgoorlie in recent times, and, and specifically in days like we have today in Perth, where it's overcast and it's rainy and wet, it, it is fabulous to drive up the main street of Hannon Street and see the gilding on the top of the post office. It's, it's, it just stands out. It's fantastic. And Doug was involved, my father was involved in the gilding of the... Uh, the, uh, the post office there and that gold came from a, a prominent uh, local uh, mining chap that will will remain anonymous. Uh, he, he prefers to uh, lay in anonymity, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they've got ambitions to uh, go and gild the boulder uh, town hall as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a fantastic thing to go and see. And, you know, Doug's been, uh, I guess, involved in mining you know, most of his life, he's he built the gold refinery in Kalgoorlie for the Perth Mint. Uh, was one of the biggest uh, producers of um, um, of uh, gold in in well in the world. Um, it produced an enormous amount of gold, and he was he built that. He 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 was the manager and built it and turned the gold bars over for a number of years and stamped them himself personally. And he had to give that away because he got RSI turning over the gold bars. <laughs> Um, that's a true story. He literally got RSI. I got it from using a typewriter and he gets it from stamping gold bars. I'd much rather have got it from the way he got it. Yeah. So, that's a success. So that's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's wonderful to see. And look, they had, uh, they had, had visions of gilding uh, not only the Boulder Town Hall, but uh, a couple of other domes in the Boulder District. Uh, Doug, Doug is certainly uh, a very much a Boulderite. He, he will tell you that uh, uh, full and through. He's, he's a Boulder boy. And uh, he, uh, they did have some spare uh, gold uh, leaf, and uh, the offer was made to the king to uh, to gild the, uh, the throne for the uh, for the coronation. But uh, unfortunately, timing was against him. So, but he, but he knows him, doesn't he? Does your dad know him? They met when he was a prince, didn't they? Go yeah, travelling. They, they certainly did. So the prince came to uh, WA, and uh, they uh, Doug at the time was the uh, the. Uh, Boulder president, I think, and so uh, he he got to travel around in the in the uh, I guess it was a bulletproof vehicle. Nineteen seventy nine. I'm yeah. going to take you back. I think. It's yeah, I've got day. an old photo actually sitting uh, <laughs> sitting in Kalgoorlie that I sometimes view, and we're sitting there on the fence, looking through, peering through as the the prince came came to town. That's and cool. They did uh, they did actually invite the prince to come and swim in the pool at home, and uh, unfortunately the uh, secret service said no, 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 we can't. <laughs> can't have the prince swimming in the pool, so the Secret Service came along and swam in the pool instead. You and I have got similar journeys. Mine was not exactly the prince then to become the king. We had Wally Masseur come when he was playing at the WI Open at Kings Park. <laughs> he came and swam in our family pool before he was famous tennis player. Uh, but you've got, you've got the, the future king of England at least being offered. Um, it's a, that is a remarkable part of your mm. upbringing, isn't it? And I'm interested to know, and you talk about your, your dad, of course, Doug, but talk about gold, 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 and you go nickel. When you, when you say to him, I'm going nickel, Dad, what was his reaction? 
Oh, look, he, he supports me. He supports me in what I do. And, and, uh, and you know, a lot of the time we do it together. In fact, uh, Doug and I, uh, back in 2003, 2004, uh, negotiated together to buy the, the most famous uh, nickel mines in, in possibly the, um, in, in the history, is the Poseidon nickel mine. We bought that from WMC. We did that jointly together. And that was a huge success, a massive success. We, uh, we went forward with that project. We discovered more nickel. We found a new deposit. Uh, we looked to redevelop that, and in the end, we ended up selling to Andrew Forrest in 2007. The timing was fantastic, and uh, at the time, it was the largest philanthropic donation uh, that was created from that, $70 million, uh, went through to the Leaping Joey Trust, um, and that, that sort of kicked that off. Um, that subsequently been uh, surpassed by, I think, a couple of billion dollars that was done by one of the, the medical chaps over East. But, um, yeah, at the time, it was the biggest... Uh, biggest philanthropic donation in, in, in Australia's history. So we were very proud of that and um, it was a very big success. It was a small junior mining cap like Australia, uh, three, four million dollars when we got hold of it and ended up $700 million plus in the boom. So yeah, fantastic ride. But did that with, did that with Doug. But Doug's, Doug's an interesting chap and one day you might get a chance to talk with him and he'll tell you some stories. But um, one of the ones that sticks in my head, we did together and we did it uh, back in 2000. 10, 2012, and he went off to Geneva to meet Coffee and Anne. And uh, he can tell you the story. He, he doesn't mind having a go, Doug, and, and he reached out. And it's not every day you get to meet the um, no. the uh, Secretary General of the UN, but that's an interesting story, and one day he might tell you about it. I look forward to that. But our guest so far today is Chris Dawes, Managing Director of Australia ASX Code ESR. In a moment, more on the company, the short, the medium, the long term, and, and your pitch to investors and the like, and those people who are sitting back listening to this podcast like me, a little simple, who don't exactly know the inner workings of of small cap companies and your chance to convince them that maybe Australia is the place to go. But I want to talk about you, Chris, if you're comfortable doing so. What's your coffee of choice if you wake up and you've got to get your day started? Oh, look, it's a cappuccino every day of the week. I'm pretty simple. Um, <laughs> I don't have the, the fancy lattes with almond milk. Or, or that, you like a bit of froth with a bit of chocolate <laughs> on the top of yours, do you, Chris? Yeah, a little bit sweeter is, is always <laughs> good. But um, Yeah, look, I like a, a cappuccino. Or, you know, The local drinking hole for us is George's Cafe in City Beach. Or, I work out of City Beach, so um, I've, I've, you know, I've been there for 10 years and the guys down there make a good brew. So anyone's in the district down at City Beach, go and see uh, George and Ben, they make a good coffee. Check it out. Um, we mentioned at the opener, your hockey, you're still playing hockey. You're, 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 you're post 50, but you're playing in the 40 ups. Uh, how are you going? Yeah, look, it, it keeps me, uh, I, I guess, on my game, I suppose. It, it, you're fit, it, you look it, fit. Yeah, thanks for that, Tim. I appreciate that. You're a runner? You're a runner as well, do you? I'm a sprinter and runner, so yeah. I spend a bit of time in the gym as well in the off-season. I, I, it's just good for the mental health, really, yeah, at the end of the true. day. Sometimes it's a good unwind. It's, you know, to get away from the, the corporate life and some of the other stresses and tribulations of, you know, everything else in our lives, family. Mm. Um, but sport is one of those things where you can you can get off the get off the, the rails a little bit and, and play a bit of sport. And I, and I am competitive. You know, I am very Somehow I thought that. I'm very competitive. And, you know, I've, I played state masters uh, last three years, although post-COVID, so you have four, four years. So you're a, you're years. a goal scorer. You're a striker. Striker. I yeah, like to run. Well, you used to be, when I was growing up playing hockey, I'm not as good as you, but I was a sort of a left back, left half. 
um, they, they were called right inners and left inners. Are they still that? Yeah, they do. I don't have the energy to run left or right inner at the moment, <laughs> so I put me out on the wing and. and uh, oh, so the, the, so the winger is the striker. Yeah, so is that what you call? I was just a winger in our day. Yeah, so we have three across the top, so three strikers. So you have a centre forward and gotcha. left and right wing. So yeah, they're, gotcha. they're just sort of your strikers, and I'm sort of a specialist. Uh, you know, push her out for the short. And who are you playing for? So I play for North Coast Raiders over forties. Yep. But I am fifty one, so this year, so um, sort of still trying to run around with the young blokes. But that helps with um, you know with trying to get into the state team every year. But you know, so far, so good. I've played the last three years, so I'm pretty happy. Well I, done. You know, as an old bloke running around, I mean, we were just talking about earlier off air. You know, it's you know, life's short. You've just got to enjoy it while you can. And you know, this you know, hopefully we're all here and. You know, for the long term, but you just don't know where and when life's going to turn. So you've um, you got to make the most of it. Mm. And sports one of those things that mm. mentally, uh, you know, releases a lot of, um, you know, I guess negativity, and you can really get on and you know come back into the space of your work and and get on with it and and go you know go as go as hard as you go on the field. Yeah, you're very passionate. I can tell with that. What about other passions away from maybe hockey? And you talk about sport. Do you follow a footy team? Do you follow any other sport? Do you follow horse racing? Do you follow motorsport? Yeah, I follow a little bit of the footy. Uh, I guess um, I'm a Dockers fan. Unfortunately, um, they've had a pretty harried run. So I, I was an Eagles supporter right through till the the Dockers uh, came about. So for the first year, I. I joined, I rolled over to the Dockers and I've been with them ever since. But, you know, in more recent times, I, I follow a fair bit of the kids' sport. I've got three kids and um, one one boy's in, into first year uni now and he played a little bit of sport, although he's gone back into his studies a bit harder than his sport. And the, the next boy down is, is 17, he plays ones for the PSA sports. So he's, he's going all right. He's kicked a few goals on the weekend. So it's great just watching the kids' sport, really. I, I really enjoy that on the weekends and the young girl that I've got. Um, she's uh, she loves a, she's mad keen on the basketball, which is fantastic. Are you a good parent watcher? I'm not. I was not notoriously. Uh, I used to have to stand on the opposite side of the court from most other supporters. You're not allowed to cheer for netball. I found that out, so I had to have arms folded and step away from them. And I I often get clipped by the by the umpires. And what are you like? <laughs> so I've trained myself. So. <laughs> Uh, it becomes it, it's a training exercise. So oh, the more yes, you it do, is. the more you do, you you you, you actually get better at it. So uh, I, I'm now actually quite uh, reserved and quiet. I just watch the game for the game, and uh, I, I still well well away from uh, yelling at the umpires and those sort of things because the kids are actually um, you know umpiring themselves, and, and it brings you to a, a appreciation of you know. You know, the umpiring as well. I mean, everybody's learning the journey. It's all about learning, and 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 you know, we learn as spectators as well. Maybe we should zip it every now and then, and and uh, just. If you watch can the still game cheer. The game. They talk oh, about. Yeah. I'm not talking about abuse. So, see, people take cheering for your team as as a clip for the opposition yeah. or a clip for the officials. I'm, you know, I'm competitive too. But this whole fold your arms and say nothing. How boring is the world? Yeah, oh, look, I do, I do yell out every now and then, give it a little bit of support. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm breaking you down slowly. You're trying to make out so, that you're a do-gooder. <laughs> yeah, no, we do, we do cheer. I mean, we love, we love it, don't we? But um, yeah, you know, we love, we love to see see everyone progress. Now, it's great that your progress. kids are, are involved in sport. Although you said your elder is sort of getting his head down back into the books, which is fantastic. But it's just so important because we are seeing this. Um, Era, this demographic of children steering away from it, and whether it be technology or whether it be whatever, 
that you talk about sport being important for your mental health, for what you do with Australia and the likes, it is important that our kids follow suit. I think it's so important to get out and about. Yeah, no, and it's, I, I, I heard a statistic the other day, some chap, uh, I, I managed to um, get in his ear and have a bit bit of a chat about uh, uh, geophysics and bits and pieces, and he was a petroleum, uh, petroleumist, uh, geophysics, and he, uh, he said to me, he said, uh, the universities this year, they had uh, two or three uh, graduates from petroleum petroleum um, degree, and uh, the mining degrees are obviously getting uh, less and less and less graduates, which astounds me really because we are in this revolution, uh, the EV, mm. the battery metal space. Mm. Mm. Uh, we're going to clean energy and minerals and minerals discovery and development and processing is going to be a key pillar in that drive for. Uh, us to transition to the clean energies. And if, if we don't educate, we're not educating, we're not uh, producing these uh, people that understand the minerals industry, uh, then we're going to struggle to transition to this clean energy. We need minerals and we need mm. metals mm. and we need people to be driving that. It's not going to happen by itself. Let's get to Australia Resources in a brief moment. Just a couple of other quick ones about you, Chris. Uh, your work-life balance, it sounds like you've got it right. It sounds like you you talk about um, with family and watching your kids sport and playing your own hockey. Have you, have you got the balance right? Oh, look, I hope so. My wife tells me that I spend a fair bit of time away, um, and I do. And and that's because I probably enjoy uh, being out in the field uh, more so and in the bush. But um, I, I try and... I try and I try and have that balance. Uh, that's important. It's critical. Uh, but look, I do work reasonably um, hard, but I do and I do enjoy it. And probably, like everybody that enjoys what they're doing, they probably do a t- bit too much of it. Uh, but yeah, certainly love to get out in the bush and spend a bit of time. In fact, I'm on a flight tomorrow morning at five a.m. Um, just to get myself up to Kalgoorlie for another week. So there you go. When you walk into the office, if you were to have a whiteboard and to write down a work motto or work ethos, what would you write on the board? Don't give up. Don't give up. And you're famous for this. This is something that I keep reading is that, you know, it doesn't matter how many knockbacks or how many times people say you can't do something, you seem pretty determined. Is that out to prove other people wrong or just to prove you right? Yeah, look, I, it's probably to prove something for myself more mm. than anything. I'm not out to prove anything for anybody. Um, I'm out to prove something for myself that I can do it. Uh, and you get a lot of enjoyment out of succeeding. Um, and you get a lot of uh, kudos, and that's always, that's always nice to have. And you get support from shareholders when you get something right. Uh, they'll tell you when you get it wrong. Uh, they're pretty happy at doing that. But no, I, I, I enjoy having a win every now and then and, and, and reflecting on that and, and more so for my own benefit. Mm-hmm. I'm not out there to prove anything to anybody. Um, you know, at the end of the day, family's important. And um, you know, doing doing it for them and and uh, and for myself is probably more important. Uh, probably a little bit selfish in that regard. So, if you were to tell me what who talk, tell me about your investors and your shareholders of the company, what's the describe those people, the people that believe? Yeah, look, there's a there's a broad brush of investors through the Australia Registry. In fact, we're 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 probably got anywhere from you know your mum and dad investor that knows very very little about investing in the junior market 
market, small market cap space to, to sophisticated investors that understand the long journeys that you can take to, to make discovery uh, and everything in between. Um, it's sometimes, I guess, it's frustrating as a MD to try and, uh, you'll never please everybody, um, but you try and do the best you can to articulate what the company's about and what we're doing so that those investors can understand uh, what we're, we're actually all about and, and to weigh up whether they should invest or whether they shouldn't and for their own circumstances. And what I would say to all investors is, look, if you don't understand it, the best thing to do is not invest. If you don't understand it, get some advice or get some professional advice. If you don't understand it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. The long game. You've been around the game for a while, but you seem like you're pretty confident where the nickel space is and where where you're drilling and digging and 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 getting results now. Is it a long game for you at this stage at, at Australia, or do you feel like there's going to be some successes just around the corner? Oh, look, you always hope for that. You know, the next drill hole to come in. We we were um, we were certainly uh, given a lift in October 2020, and we have. A massive opportunity at Carboy Rocks. There's no doubt that Carboy Rocks, as a as an exploration play for a junior mining company, is is a an enormous opportunity. And we saw that way back in 2003-04 when we were looking at nickel assets uh, in Western Australia at the time we acquired Windara Nickel Project. Carboy is a unique uh, nickeliferous uh, hosting massive sulphide intrusion, and it's it's rare. I mean, the only other one that we, we now know of is the Julemar deposit just outside of Perth, which Chalice uh, discovered a couple of years ago. So these styles of uh, nickel sulphide ore bodies, uh, think Voise Bay, think in Canada in Labrador, uh, think Nova Bollinger in the Fraser Range that IGO have developed and mining with um, the takeover of the serious resources. So they're rare. They're rare. They're rarer to come across, and I, and I was very aware of that. Um, and what we do know about intrusive magmatic nickel sulphide bodies or um, hosts is that they can deliver world-class tier one size ore body. I mean, you, I'm not talking about a 15, 20, 30,000 tonne nickel ore body. I'm talking about a 100 to 200,000 nickel tonne ore body it, it worth in the billions and billions of dollars. So your $2 matchbox dinky car that you're digging up or you discover, this is, this is serious, serious stuff that we're looking for. And that's why we spend serious, serious dollars looking for it. We put the best people on it. We get the, we get the best technology. And we've been using the best technology out of Carboid for the last few years. I mean, we were the first ones. We were the very first ones in, in Australia, in Western Australia, to bring in the E-Vibe seismic uh, technology. And we, we developed that through R&D. And that's been uh, now being uh, utilised by other juniors and other uh, groups. And that, that's, there's these, that, these dynamic shifts in technology that we try and grasp onto to give us the competitive advantage. Uh, we're looking at bringing in some new technology in July to run a, an AFMAG project. And when we say AFMAG, it's a, um, a, a new helicopter-borne VTEM uh, uh, style of uh, exploration. I know that probably doesn't mean much to the layman, but basically uh, it's new technology. Uh, it helps us discover uh, nickel mineralisation in, in the subsurface down to, hopefully down to 800 odd metres, and then we, we, we drill test. 
But the opportunity at Carboy and for a junior company like Australia is enormous. And when, when you're talking about discovery, it's it can happen it can happen overnight, but it doesn't happen overnight. Mm, mm. You know, this is something that is built up over many, many years. We've been building up the expiration targets uh, internally for a, for a fair bit of time. And uh, we're very excited by the targets that we have. 99.9% of the world's nickel sulphide ore and nickel is produced from basal contacts. And we have multiple basal contacts at carboid rocks that sit there, remain untested, and have remained untested since discovery in 1968. You have rattled off carboid many times in this conversation. And this chips in for you? Or are you... It's chips in, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we, we, are, we are all in. We are committed. Uh, we will continue the hunt. Uh, we will we'll hopefully be successful. We hopefully come out the other side with a premiership cup and um, we can wave that and be happy. Is that why you're putting the boots on and flying? Is that where you're heading absolutely. tomorrow? Yeah? yeah, we've got an exploration camp up there. We've got a caretaker up there at the moment, but we... We spend a bit of time um, up there and just, you know, just I, I like to get out into the bush and uh, just touch base with the stakeholders. There's been a recent change at the, the underlying uh, station uh, ownership, so there's a, there's a bit of work to be done there. And also catching up with some uh, service providers on the uh, underground mining contractor side. So uh, on a side of Carboid, we are actually looking at uh, feasibility work for an underground nickel mine just uh, to the uh, southwest of Cambella. Uh, which is about 150-odd kilometres south of um, Carboid Rocks. So so in summary, where we normally ask our, our guests, and we're talking to Chris Dawes, Managing Director of Australia, of course, ASX code ESR, look them up. It sounds all very positive with Carboid, of course, being the focus. Uh, just tell us in regards to the probably the long and the short term, I think there's a, there's a long game being played here, but if you go up there in the next couple of days, it sounds like it could be a very... Sh- it could be the short game as well, and all of a sudden investors will will strike it rich, so to speak. You know, it sounds like you're sort of like um, you go about it at such a rapid rate with such positivity and such ethics as well that you basically believe that um, the results could come tomorrow or a bit longer. Yeah, look, it's it's a medium-term play for us at Carboid at the moment. Our okay. focus is actually getting the underground mine development at, at 5A actually underway. We're a small group. Yeah. Uh, being a small group, we have uh, limited resources, and those limited resources we need to, uh, you know, we need to take care of. We are actively looking for a partner for Carboid uh, at the current stage. Carboid is such a large project uh, that a junior can't possibly test all of the targets. So we're actively looking for... A, uh, a fairly large partner, and there's some discussions that are, I can say are ongoing. We've, we've made mention of that, and uh, we're hopeful that those discussions will bear fruit, and we can be back out drilling at Carboid in the near term. And as I said, it could be the next drill hole. It could be the drill hole that hits the billion-dollar ore body. So we're very excited about that, but we're also excited about uh, what's ahead of us at Five uh, A at Spargoville. We plan to develop a underground, a small underground resource there. We've Got a great partner in uh, Glencore and the Murrin Murrin operations that have treated a trial parcel already that's been extremely successful. And uh, we're looking to take out some very high grade nickel tons uh, out of the underground operation. And as I've learned in all my career in, in all of the work that I've done from the days as a stockbroker and raising capital for junior mining companies and, and working in a junior mining company and looking at other projects and looking at other companies, grade wins time over again. Grade, grade, grade. 
and and 5A is great. So that's why we're going hard at that as well. All right. You talked about the the uh, husband, wife, mother, father investors. You talked about the bigger investors, and this is your chance to to pitch right here to our uh, listeners to the podcast in regards to why you think Australia is a place that they could probably have a look at. Yeah, thanks, Tim. That's a good question. And at the end of the day, Australia sits at a market cap of $15 million. Uh, we've got two key nickel sulphide projects. That's the space we're in. If you want to be in the EV re- uh, revolution and the high-grade nickel prices that are around the corner, uh, we're, a good, we're a good spot. We will probably make a discovery at some point in the near term. I, I truly believe that. And those that want to be part of that, jump on board and... Uh, join the ride should be uh, make for a very interesting time for us all. It certainly does, and I've enjoyed the chat today, Chris. We appreciate your time coming in and uh, enjoy. Well, good luck with the hockey representing the state in the Masters. Good luck getting up there again, uh, of course, to to Carboyd. I know that's a home away from home. It sounds like it for you. Yeah, it certainly is. Sixteen man camp, but I do enjoy it. Um, just on the hockey front, yeah, October's the uh, state Masters in Perth this year. They tell me it's the single biggest sporting event in Australia by by participation. So we have 35-year-olds right through to 90-year-olds playing hockey. This was f- fantastic. Incredible sport and well done. And thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. There he is, Chris Dawes, joining us. So that's another episode of ASX Market Goss. We'd love your feedback to make a comment, like us, share us, and make sure you tell your colleagues and your counterparts or the community, spread the word. It could be whatever platform you're listening to right now, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and RSS.com. We, again, appreciate all your feedback. Keep an ear and an eye out for our next episode. Until then, we will keep digging to find out more guests to chat about their ASX journey. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. This has been ASX Market Goss, and again, we appreciate the time of Chris Dawes. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. ASX Market Goss and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by ASX Market Goss or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction.